every great dream begins with dreamers. Tom and Steve are strangers in a strange land. Join them on the journey from ignorance to knowledge, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. All aboard the Blunderground Railroad. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Blunderground Railroad. I am Tom Smith, and I have my partner in crime, Stephen Hot. How are you guys? How you doing? Well, we are back to finish up part one of Notes from Underground. Ooh. So this is our uh, this is our last uh, our last foray with the uh, the inner dialogue. Yeah, chapter eleven. I I cheated and skipped ahead, and I, it turned into poetry. And I, whoa, what is going on? I got scared, and I went back. <laughs> That's right. You saw poetry. You turned around. You're right. Yeah, I was like, "This is a haiku." I'm not even. I don't know what these are anymore. That's it, man. That's it. You know what I always ask? I think like they always says it's been translated from Russian. You know, say that right in there. And but it rhymes. Like how how does that work? Magic. Like I know that's what I mean. Like you look at it and I go, it's like you know, like I don't consider my like I don't know. I mean, like listen, I'm probably not the smartest guy around, right? But like I mean, I figure I look at it. I go, wait, if it's Russian. Does that mean it doesn't rhyme in Russian, but it rhymes in English when you translate it? I mean, how does that work? I'll let you look that up for us. Maybe. I don't know if that, <laughs> you know, I'm just not sure. I mean, it seems like answering a question about nuclear fission would be easier, you know? Yeah. So, man, I... And probably more fruitful. Uh, pro- probably. 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 I um, I wanted to piggyback off a conversation that you and I were having. Uh, we've been talking and not recording, but just, uh, you know, talking back and forth. Just as friends, uh, you know it's interesting. I was um, because I was thinking about uh, a thing I saw on YouTube the other day, and uh, I was a guy was uh, uh, he was interviewing a bunch of rich people. You know, these are very, these are very rich people, and uh, you know, millions of dollars. And uh, the one guy said, he said, uh, he said uh, he was asked, "What do you do with your money?" Right? And he asked, he said. He said, when we got the money, he said, it was a real comfort knowing that our kids were taken care of. And he said, knowing that our children were taken care of and Mm -hmm. everything was taken care of for them, that was a big comfort. And he said, and then obviously, you know, we didn't have to worry, my wife and I, we didn't have to worry about about money and about sustaining ourselves any longer. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, he said, beyond that, he said, it really came down to just having to spend all of it before I died. And, uh, you know, and I, I boy, I, I, it really affected me. I really thought about that <laughs> because I had, I had talked, um, I'd also, uh, I'd read, uh, I'd read an essay, uh, and, uh, it was a, a woman who had traveled and it was very interesting. You know, she had talked about seeing these beautiful places uh, abroad and, um, uh, and she said, she said, you know, she said, it really comes down to beauty. And she said, it's about your ability to see beauty if you can see beauty in your hometown, and then you can see, and if you can see beauty, she said, if you can see beauty in Italy, if you can recognize it in Italy, mm-hmm. then you can have that same ability to recognize it in your hometown, you know. And uh, this was a woman who had settled down in her hometown after traveling a lot. And uh, she had said, um, you know, and she talked about, you know, how, you know, things that I saw that were disgusting were n- not much different than the disgusting things in my own city. And the things that were beautiful were not much different than the beautiful things in my own, in her own town. Yep. 
And uh, so she was talking about, you know, local communities, and, and, and it was really fascinating to think about, you know, how much, uh, how much money does a man need? How many friends does a man need? What is the ideal size of community and all these things? And, uh, you know, it made me really think about um, my own situation, uh, you know, because and you and I were talking about this, right? I mean, as far as like, you know, not having a lot of stuff or having a lot of stuff. Uh, yep. Yeah. And, and how, so like, for example, with you, you were referring to some of these things that you have. And so like, how did it, but they don't necessarily relate. Oh man, they don't make you any happier at all. Trust yeah. Me. You, you, you probably, you're more miserable with more stuff, to be honest with you. Because there's a responsibility of taking care of it. Because now you got like yeah. a ton of this money, which really was your time and stress mm. invested into acquiring things. Mm. Nah, nah. When the Bible says covet the best things earnestly, yeah, boy, I'll tell you what. You should probably listen. You probably listen to the rest of the book, too. It's, it's a decent book. Um <laughs> <laughs> Some relatively That's good right. advice. You got it, right? You got it, um, man. But no, like uh, I actually envy people that that live a, a very simple life, and I'll I'll get there. I'm kind of on my own little four or five year plan from now, and um, yeah, you know, uh, thirty seven years old, and I've I've done bought every brand new car I can think of, and the grass is not greener on the other side of the ocean, the other side of the fence, in your neighbor's yard. Yeah, it's. I heard this somewhere. It's like the grass is greener in your neighbor's yard because there's a bunch of manure in it or something, a bunch of fertilizer, something, something along those oh, lines. Oh yeah, you're right, right. I yeah. heard it's somewhere. Like, it's like one of those George. Uh, it's like one of those George W. Bush uh, speeches. You know, as yeah. well, you know, what does what does he say? He says like, uh, wait, if, if if you're not with us, then you're 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 against us, and if you're not against us, then you're something or other. Then you're with us. That would that be like, witty. Yeah, like if you're not with if you're with us then it's two hands in the bush and something or other like that. I, I think yeah. we tried to figure that out last podcast. I we probably it, did. It didn't work well. Maybe not. Probably no, I not. know we did. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah. Oh no, no. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, there you go. Yep. We definitely did. Aha. Did just I can tell you that just cuz I do the editing. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So no, it, it doesn't work. Going <laughs> through. Did we figure this? No, we did not figure That's this. That's it. So let me ask you this question then. So, if I think what you're saying sounds very wise. So if it doesn't increase the the value in your life, then then why do you purchase it? Um, I'm gonna use a term that some people are probably familiar with: retail therapy. Ah, retail therapy. Okay. It fills it fills a gap, right? Sure. There's something missing there. Okay. And it fills some sort of gap, some mm. some sort of um, obviously I don't have a, it's not a spiritual gap, but it's um, mm. maybe an emotional gap, I guess. Okay. You know. Yeah. Um, it's like I, I I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I don't do any of that stuff. Yep. Um, so my thing is like new shiny objects, but I I've I'm not kidding, I've literally run out. That's why like. Right. I, I really don't have a passion to do anything except share my thoughts with people. This is you know, it's a blessing to get to to get to do this. It is, yeah, certainly. Um but, you know, even all the stuff that's surrounding us right now, um right. a lot of talents that I've built over twenty five years of running audio equipment. Um, sure. I I don't even market my DJ stuff. You know, I had a I had a DJ gig fall through yeah. last month and I 
eh, you know, whatever. It, right. you, because you get this stuff, and it's 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 like a it's almost like a high or a rush for just a little bit. Okay, sure. And then it goes away. And intellectually, you know that things like spending time with your kids, like that's the most important thing, right? Yeah. And we hear this stuff all the time, but it sounds cliche, but it is really not. If you can discipline yourself enough and be wise enough to pre- to be able to know the future, to know that once you buy said shiny item, you're actually not going to feel better like two weeks later. You're right. probably going to have buyer's remorse. And you can get past that and you can get to the stage you're at. Sure. Or like you tell me about a walk with your kids and how exciting it was. And you oh. can talk for half an hour about it. Yeah. You're at a much better place than me. Mm. That That is a thousand times better. Um, so that's, that's what I'm, I'm working towards, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I, I do, I, and I've, I've had many times, I think in my life where I, you know, I've taken walks and, you know, there's like a sense of resentment, uh, because I'm taking a walk right around my house because that's all I can do. Right. right? And I think, well, this would be a different experience if I was taking a walk in Hawaii, for example, right. Or something different. And, and that's kind of a, a different paradigm. That's a, that's a, a bit of a pattern break. It's really different thinking about it than that way that if you can be happy in Hawaii, then you can be happy in your little small town and how there is enough gratefulness for one life just in the roads around your house. Yeah. Well, if you're wise enough to be able to learn that lesson without having to learn it the hard way, mm. then then good on you. See, I grew up extremely poor. Right. And so I always thought, you know, a nine to fiver in a suit and a BMW and trips to Vegas and the finest filet mignon was yeah. the greatest thing. Right. I've had a five series BMW. I've been in the nicest Vegas restaurants there are. Yeah. I've stayed at the nicest places money can buy. I've been all around the world. And zero. None of it's fulfilling. None of it is more fulfilling than, than my kids. Mm, right. Or my wife. Yeah. Your wife. Nothing. Yeah. Right. That's what means everything. I could lose all of it as long as I had them. Yeah. But I didn't see that when I was 21, 22, 23. If you asked me, I'd say it because it was the right thing to say. Sure, okay. But would I put my money where my mouth was? Right. Mm, I don't know. Mm, mm. If you're wise enough to not have to learn it the hard way, though, good good for you. Yeah. No, I, I tell you. I, the reason, I guess the reason I mention all this and kind of bring it up is it brought me to something else that I was reading about the other day, and it was very, very interesting to connect it to Chapter Eleven. And obviously, we're talking about Chapter Eleven here and notes right. from underground. Right. And I, the thing I, I wanted to mention is, is this: okay, the imaginary audience. All right. So, the imaginary audience. Now, obviously, in Chapter Number Eleven, uh, the underground man he has this imaginary audience. He's going to bring out. He's going to engage them, and yep. he, he starts to engage them, and the. You know, we we read this book where we're bringing it out into the light, into the open, because we feel it has a lot to say about our society today. And I was really struck by the power of the power of an unseen audience or an imagined audience, all right? And how much that how much that really gets involved in our lives, in the decisions that we make. Oh, it's a great book because this is every person. If well, every person just looks at themselves, sure, this is every person. Boy, every I, person can find themselves here. Yeah, I I would say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean every person, and I'm really looking forward to the second half. I mean, we get to see 
it's going to be more of a traditional story. We're going to get to see what this looks like in real life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's going to be a lot of real fruitful ground, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, the, this power of this imaginary audience, yeah, you can see yourself in it. And I think it relates to so much of our, of our current problems that we all have. And, and um, what we see in our, uh, for example, uh, retail therapy. You know, you mentioned retail therapy. Mm-hmm. And so if if the purchase, right, if it's not motivated for you personally, right, then it's possible, okay, so the role of the imagined audience, right? Yep. In, in terms of the imagined audience creating a need and a response cycle <laughs> that – that we don't even realize, right? They're like drivers that have become invisible drivers. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think um definitely there's been some purchases where subconsciously yeah, I'm like creating a, a 20% imaginary audience. Like 80% of it is definitely like I don't really care what people think it's for me. Sure, right. But oh yeah. I I would say subconsciously for sure I'm like <laughs> wait till people see this. You know, yeah, and nobody gives a crap, right? Nobody cares, right? Right. Matter of fact, I know that. You know why? My my fifth wheel I used to have. I used to have a five slide out fifth wheel, brand new. Sure. Okay. I'm headed camping in a tent next week. Happily, happily. I'm laughing at all those people with the fifth wheels now who right. I used to envy. Yeah. Right. Sure. And right here in our book, yeah, it's like the second or third sentence says, "I envy the normal man." Yet I should not care to be in his place. I so much of this chapter spoke to me. Wow! And I was like, "Yep, I don't care to be in their place at all because I know what that comes along with: repair bills, gas bills. Right? You know, your your camping space is now suddenly four times the cost. No, thank yeah. you. Have a great time with all that. Right with all that. Yeah, I'll be in my tent. I'm good." <laughs> You can destroy everything I own. Right, I'm sure. out like 200 bucks. <laughs> right? Right. I had a malfunctioning um, auto-leveling system at one point. Okay. It was on a weekend. Now, these campers are not, like, it's almost like you buy, like, an off-brand board game and the instructions are in Chinese. Oh, okay, got it. Yep. Can- you would think for, like, 75 grand they'd give you some decent instructions, like, hey, if this if this, you know, button's blinking, right. you know, do X, Y, and Z. No, not even close. By the grace of God, I ended up on the phone with somebody who had some clue what they're talking about what? because I couldn't unhook this thing from my truck. You couldn't? No. No, because I couldn't get the legs down because <laughs> there was no manual. It was just a button. There's a button. I could, there wasn't a crank down. There was nothing like that. Yeah. So, yeah, problems that, you know, you know what, my tent pole next week, I can't predict the future, but I'm fairly certain uh-huh. I can get that thing to work right <laughs> without right. customer support. Right there, you go. And this All is right. this Ozark is Trail. Don't fail me now. <laughs> right, right there, you go. You know, there you go. It uh, it really is. It's fascinating how we 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 our primary motivations are never what we talk about, and they're never they're never what we deal with. Right. Uh, I, I thought what was Stark. I'm. The example that fascinated me so much is interesting. It was actually related to pornography. And they were talking about porn. And it's really fascinating uh, if you think about it. Uh, I it, Just mulling it over in my mind, uh, you know, is the role of the imagined audience, right? Because 
you know, think about it. So if you have like a, if you have a pornography performance, right? So you have, you say you have a, like this beautiful girl and she's, it's, it's, it's pornography, right? So if you take the shortest uh, route between two points, you figure, okay, well, you have, say for example, said guy is looking for uh, a release, perhaps maybe the said guy, he, uh, uh, there's something that he doesn't have, uh, or maybe he's unsatisfied with what he does have. So what, what he's doing is he's actually replacing what he has with what he is consuming, right, which is the pornography. Well, and I think a lot of times we do this even in consumer culture. Uh, in, in terms of the underground man, he's doing it with his thoughts. Uh, but we have, like, even in consumer culture, we're, we're looking to replace. Well, actually, it's interesting. In pornography, is really not the case, right? The imagined audience. So the thesis that was put forward is that People don't engage in pornography because they're trying to replace a good in their own life. What they're doing is they're putting themselves into this role where they are achieving the un- the unachievable to their intent to their imagined audience, right? So someone coming at uh, someone who's coming at a pornographic film, they're seeing something that's not real. They're seeing something that is not achievable for them, and so by consuming the product. What they're doing is they're allowing themselves to engage in this. Uh, they're allowing themselves to engage in this reality that's not available to them. They're outside of that reality, but actually, it's a bit different. Really, what they're doing, they're, they're, they don't gain satisfaction from that. The satisfaction doesn't come from that in itself. The satisfaction comes from putting yourself in that role. Okay, so for example, in pornography, it would be the role, the sexual role of a man in a pornographic film. And then in that role, what you're actually doing is you're putting yourself in that role and you're announcing to your intended audience that you hold a place that is unachievable for them, right? So you're actually turning things around and you're saying, okay, well, you're saying I can't achieve this. But then the fantasy is that the fantasy isn't that you can achieve it. The fantasy is that the imagined audience views you as something unachievable them that might be the deepest analysis i've ever heard on porn in my life <laughs> it probably is <laughs> actually i'll just go ahead and give you the win <laughs> wow <laughs> so well they uh listen i don't know if that's helpful or not but i hope it is uh and um if it I is hope so too because it's quite a lot of effort <laughs> is it right sure sure no no doubt no smoke doubt. coming out the headphones over there <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's just this. It's really easy to transpose this, though. I mean, it, I think that the. I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. No. I mean, I, it I may- just think the average person is not the man of action. Couldn't think of that. No, but this is where it gets so beautiful. <laughs> no, and I'm so glad that you said that. Right. No, I really am. I'm because that's where the rubber meets the road, and you're just that is throwing the bullseye. That's throwing the dart right on the bullseye right there because that's exactly where he's at, Dostoevsky, right? And it's such a powerful example and it's so easily trans, trans uh, uh, opposable into other areas of life. Mm-hmm. So, and it really does because it all goes back to chapter five, right? I mean, in chapter five, we have the man of action and then we have the man of elevated conscious, of elevated consciousness, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, this man of action, totally unaware, right? I mean, you have the underground man is reacting to this audience. He's arguing with himself. I mean, he's, he's 
he he has this role, right, of rejecting things. And so in his thoughts, in his inner thoughts, he has created this intent. Because he says so in the chapter. He says, well, I'm not going to release this. You know, you think you're going to get this in a book form. You think you're going to release this. It's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, right? I mean, so he says it right in the chapter. Yes, he does. He does. And so, you know, it, it, so he's working through this process and of, of talking about rejecting and about having all these things that are that, that he want that he spites. He spites everything that he sees. And he's working through it. And then in the last chapter, we find, lo and behold, right, like, there it is, an unintended audience, or an imagined audience, excuse me, an imagined audience. He has an imagined audience. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I don't mean to, like, skip to the end or anything. No, no, one please, of, one please. Of the last, one of the very last notes that I took, um, when I, my minor's in psychology, and I learned that emotions, mm. they have to come out. Um, they're mm. going to manifest themselves in one way or another. Or another. The underground man, he chose writing in the form of a conversation. And I yes. think he chose it in specifically in the form of a conversation right. with an imagined audience because it let more emotion go by it, it felt authentic. It felt like the conversation that he needed to have. He right. could just write down a bunch of bullet points and that was gonna be like fully satisfying, right? Right. Sure, sure. I, exactly. I hate to have to go back to your reference, but you you know what? You made it. You did this. He had to find his category of porn, right? <laughs> right. There you go. Right. Well, that's it. Okay. Right. Sure. But yeah, that's no. It's an apt analogy. That's that's what it that's what it was for him. Um, so that was kind of interesting um, and, and a good wrap up, I guess, to the first half of the book was to figure out. Oh, okay. This is why this guy wrote all this. He's like tormented inside. It's an emotion, a whole bunch of emotions really that right. needed to come out, and so. That's how he ended up doing it. I mean, you know, some people run over a bunch of people on sidewalks. Some people uh, mm. write, write books 100 and some odd years ago. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. You know, and, and, and there you go. What I found, uh, what I found fascinating uh, was at the beginning, and I think you were at the end of the chapter, and that's great. Uh, but to go back to the beginning, yep. the underground man is talking at the beginning of chapter number 11. He says, the long and the short of it is, gentlemen, that it is better to do nothing, better conscious inertia, all right, better conscious inertia. And I find, I find that striking uh, because it, you, going back to, you, we see inertia, right, chapter five, that's like the inertia chapter, all right? And so uh, back in chapter five, inertia, okay, the underground man defines inertia a very specific way, all right? He defines it, it's a tendency to do nothing, all right, or to remain unchanged. And I, it really struck me. And the reason why is because what we saw in the last chapter, right? So in the last chapter we have these men of science, they finally constructed this perfect mathematical table, right? And then that's kind of like the, the crystal palace, right? And so they finally constructed it. You can gaze upon it. You can look upon it. It's perfect. And yet at the same time, here's the underground man, right? He is going to, he's not going to move towards it. He's not going to move towards this perfection. He's going to spite it, right? And he, he chooses to call it the chicken coop. He's not going to, he's not looking for something here in this world, right? He's looking around everywhere in this world. And he says, hey, if you got the answer, convince me. But you're not going to find it here in this world. He's probably where I'm at. 
which is the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. Been there, done that. Mm. I don't even need to go in to know that that place ends up looking like a chicken coop eventually to me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Even the richest people, sure, okay, mm-hmm. they're bored with their life. Mm. And I heard this from somebody long, long time ago, and then uh, through my twenties, I had the chance to find out it was true. Yeah. Um, even the most beautiful girl you see, sure, somebody's sick of her. Yeah, I'm, no, right. I'm dead serious. Right. Yeah. I. So if you're if you've ever been out there and you've seen a a pretty girl sure. and she's with a guy. I guarantee you he's just about at the end of his rope with her. With her. <laughs> Trust me. Right. All right. <laughs> right. That whole utopia, right? That doesn't exist with women either. Right. <laughs> There's no relationship like that. I don't care what the girl looks like. It ain't worth it. It ain't. Yeah. Love what you got. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, go for the long haul, right? I'm telling you. Yeah, the things that last. The Sometimes, this is not always the case, but the hotter, the crazier, but it's it's just not worth it. There you go. You know, even if they're so not. Is that a promise? Are you, are you promising me? The hotter, the crazier? No, the hot, crazy matrix. We're going to do a podcast about that. I mean, you're promising me right now uh, at some point. I mean, I'm sure hopefully one of our listeners. That's not that's not my material. Well, listen, but hopefully but one of our listeners will come across and remind us of this, and then we'll remember, you're making me a promise right now that we will do a podcast I, on the hot, crazy matrix. I will definitely speak for that. Um, performance that that guy did. I, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, he has a name, too. It's wild. He's got a website. Yeah, I think it? everybody has a name. Well, no, I know, but he does, too. <laughs> and it's funny because he I think he sells insurance now or he's a lawyer or something. So, you know, he doesn't... Uh, he's got this website for his law firm or whatever. Nah, he can't be a lawyer. He, what he said was too truthful. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that, that matrix was dead on. Oh man, that, that's world famous. That's, what, right that's why it was funny because it was true. Oh yeah, no, I know. And this delivery too. I mean, it's it's oh man, sublime. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I've learned everything the hard way. <laughs> that's why. That's why I, I know certain things to just be factual. You know, right? Because um, I've had some good looking girlfriends, and yep. I, I I can remember the first time I looked at them, right, and yeah. I can remember the last time I looked at them. You can them. remember being sick of them, huh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, man. Every every toy is only fun for so long. <laughs> I used to really dig Power Wheels. I mean, dig them. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. I'm bored to tears of them today. Uh, right? That's it, right? You can't handle it anymore, right? They don't. No, they can't handle me. Oh, man. That's it. They can't handle you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's it. Well, man, I say, you know, we have, so the Crystal Palace, right? The underground man, he doesn't see anything in this world that he wants, right? And he looks at it and he's thinking, hey, you show me something in this world. Like, yeah, you show me a beautiful girl and I'll show you someone who's sick of that beautiful girl, right? Yep. You show me something in this world that you're going to tell me is, 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 Matt, is, is, is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And I will show you something I can spite. Mm-hmm. Right? And I will show you something. I will choose to tear down the perfect simply so that I can spite it through insanity because I need to have that free will, right? So I don't know if he does. He need everybody to be at his level of heightened consciousness so he doesn't feel alone, or is yeah maybe that's I I guess that's that was my only option. I guess I thought I had two options, but yeah, I think he's just like sick and tired of being like. Why are you guys out there enjoying all this stuff? It's not actually that fun. Oh, no, option two would be, is he envious of them? But 
right here, he says, yet I should not care to be in his place. So, like, he's envious of their blissful ignorance? I think a lot of it is that, I think a lot of it is, okay, this inertia, right? He says it's better, it's better to do nothing, better conscious inertia, right? Mm -hmm. So, you got to think of it here. There's really three ways to look at the problem, okay? So, there's three ways to look at the problem. And and there's, you know, I'm going to call it like, it's kind of like master, manager, slave, right? So, remember, we're not, Christ isn't really part of this equation, right? Remember, we're not really bringing in the gospel here. We are as a, we are as a shadow kind of a thing, right? We're not talking about it, but it's there. Um, So, Think of it like master, manager, slave, okay? <clears throat> On the top, you have the master. Dostoevsky would point to this as, this would be the mathematician or the scientist, right? These would be the people that construct the crystal palace. They would say, you can get a mathematical table that will tell you what you should do, and you can work it all out. And so you don't, you can work it all out, and, and this is a lot of the first part where he's going back and forth with this imagined audience. And that would be like the top, the master, Okay. And then you have the bottom, and you'd have like the slave. This would be uh, an example of the man of action. All right. Now, remember, when we were looking at the man of action, it was very tempting to say that, hey, the man of action has an objective truth. Right. And I think that's an apt description of the Christian. Right. The Christian has moral absolute. And it's a good description. Uh, we can see that that role of justice with the man of action. This is a way uh, that we can view the Christian. But I think that looking at the chapter, Dostoevsky is really talking about people here. These people don't question, okay? So they're being told, hey, you know, this is the way, this is the Crystal Palace. It's a beautiful palace. And these are people that are never going to get to that point. They're never going to call it a chicken coop, all right? They're never going to get there, all right? So, um, you know, they're never going uh, to actually make that connection. So they're going to... Um, you know, it's kind of like a child, right? Like a child can watch the same cartoon six million times and never get sick of it, you know? And you think, well, you know, I can watch this cartoon two times and I'm done with it, right? But the kid will watch it 20,000 times and never get sick of it, right? Because they're just a kid, right? They're not an adult. They don't have those faculties. So, you know, he's talking about these people don't question. They're never going to get to that point where they call it a chicken coop, right? So what do you do if you're a man in the middle, Right. What do you do if, for example, he talks about heightened consciousness? And this is where I kind of go back to chapter number 10. Because in chapter number 10, the, 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 the underground man, he's saying, hey, you don't show it to me. If you want me to be convicted about something, go ahead and prove it to me. Show it to me. Don't show me your crystal palace because I got nothing for you. But you got something for me? Show it. Right. He's looking for something. And he knows he's not going to find it in this world. And... Dostoevsky, the author, he knows where to find it, and that's outside this world, right? So, when you're, all right, back to that, back to that relationship, okay? Ma master, I call it master, manager, slave, all right? Be that person in the middle, mm -hmm. all right? Inertia, the tendency to do nothing and to remain unchanged. This sense is thrust upon the man of heightened consciousness. It's not something he chooses for himself, all right, you get this sense that he could say, you know, I can see the Crystal Palace, and I reject it. You know, in, in chapter 11, in, uh, he, uh, he says it in chapter 11. Uh, he says how he's, he's talking about uh, his nature, and he says, 
is it possible that I was just created to be this thing that works himself into, you know, that, that, that can't figure out anything, you know, that everything is destitute and that's the end of it? Is that even possible? You know, he's talking about making the unreal real. He's talking about, he's talking about making the unseen seen. Here, let me get it from the, uh, let me see if we can get it from the, uh, from the chapter. So this is at the end of chapter number 10. At the end of chapter number 10, the underground man, he says that I'll read it here. Perhaps the thing I resented was that of all your edifices, there has not been one at which one could not put out one's tongue. On the contrary, I would let my tongue be cut off out of gratitude if things could be so arranged that I should lose all desire to put it out. It is not my fault that things cannot be so arranged and that one must be satisfied with model flats. Then why am I made with such desires? Can I have been constructed simply in order to come to the conclusion that all my construction is a cheat? Can this be my whole purpose? I do not believe it. Right? He looks around himself and he says, I spite everything I see. Is this my purpose? I refuse to believe it. Right? So now, very easy for someone like yourself or myself to uh, to look at that and say, yeah, this guy is looking for God. Right? But just for a moment, take that out of the equation. Remember, Dostoevsky is in a nihilistic culture. Right? They're, right? If, uh, if they kill God, we shall shepherd him underground, right? So they're looking to take God out. So the underground man lives in a society without a salvation, without God, right? He's not able to look outside the world for his answers. He can't find his answers inside the world. So what is left for him to do? He needs to create a devised life. And that's what he was talking about in chapter number five, right? These fake lives, fake world Fake life. Fake life. <laughs> Fake life. Right? Yeah. It's these devised life. People living devised lives. Why? Because some barrier, right, whether it be anything from a political philosophy or whether it be secularism, whatever it is, right, whether it be your own, your own dark heart, whatever that happens to be, right, you are cut away from that, from that true life right, that true salvation, and it's the devised life. So you have people that are lost and grapple with this devised life. And the man of consciousness, right, the man of consciousness, he has a devised life. Why? Because of inertia. He can only do nothing. He can only remain in an unchanged, spiteful state. Not because he chooses to, all right? If choice were left up to him, his choice would be to seek his answers outside the world. And yet, and yet the master, okay, this person above him, these are his, his imagined audience. Right. These scientists and all these, uh, all these people, this imagined audience, the imagined audience won't let him. They won't let him live. They won't let him live the way he wants. He has one choice, which is to remain unchanged and to do nothing, which is why he ruminates all the time. Well, I, I think you only become the man of consciousness after a certain period of time, and I guess that's different for everybody else, um, because you're not—you're certainly not born into the world. 
um, with all this like heightened sense of awareness around you and sure you've had these experiences and you realize what's fulfilling to you and sure what's not fulfilling to you um he says right here uh, a little later on in the chapter he says anyway i've only lately determined to remember some of my early adventures yeah that, that's that right. speaks to what i was saying it does yeah, actually till now i have always avoided them even with a certain uneasiness now when i am not only recalling them but have actually decided to write an account of them i want to try the experiment whether one can even with oneself be perfectly open and not take fright at the whole truth so uh he says even with oneself like Mm. I, I I don't even know if I can be perfectly honest with myself and and right. you know give up my facade and and write down just write down who I really am even if no one else is going to see it. Right. It says um, Hein says that a true autobiography is almost an impossibility, and that man is bound to lie about himself, and he's referring to um, Christian John Heinrich Hein. He was a German poet and author. Uh, nice. Lived from. 1797-1856. Okay. Um, also a well-known literary uh, critic as well. But Very good. Either way, Hein basically says that man is inclined to give off this fake image of themselves. They, there's this, there's this vulnerability, you know, that they feel and that they, they won't give up certain pieces of themselves. And we see that on Facebook today we yeah we, we see do. just a little bit of truth like just just enough truth to make it look authentic right right there you go but right then yeah yeah there's we're definitely going to leave some stuff out right right but we're, we're going to show a little bit of vulnerability it's a very good point because if we don't show a little bit then everyone's like yeah total fraud easy to call that one total fraud y- yeah right absolutely yeah no yeah that's really true and who are we doing that for Unimagined audience. There you go, man. Nobody cares. Yeah, that's it, right? It's funny. We were talking about this in chapel the other day. Yeah? Or, yeah tell, me, tell me more. Oh, the guest preacher that was there oh, yeah, brought, sure. brought it up. And um, he was talking about how people look for love, right? We are talking about agape love. Yeah. So people look for love in the wrong places. And they look for it on Facebook. And he's talking about social media. And he says, yeah. how many times have you gone back just to see how many likes or hearts or whatever you got on your post. Sure. He's like, you better raise your hand. <laughs> I know y'all have done it. Right. He right. said, because I've done it. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, yep. I'm guilty. Guilty. I've done it. Guilty. You know, if you, if, how many times you've taken a picture and you're like, you know what? Especially selfies. I'm going to take, eh, three of them. You're like, you know what? Them first two, uh-uh, not cutting it. Right. Right. Because we don't want to put that out there, even though that's us. So that's why Heinz is a true autobiography. Yeah. Probably probably impossible. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, and this role of this imagined audience, you know, and how it... Because he, he talks about levels, right? There's like a level. So yeah. you have stories that everybody knows. And then there's stories that you'll tell your friends. Right, that you'll tell your friends, and then, and then different level of friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. True, I suppose that's right. Different level of friends. Yeah, and then there are the stories that you're not even going to tell yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even want to relive them yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't even want to admit them to yourself, and that you don't that. 
that you can't even and, and it's it has to come I think a lot of it with radical honesty you know like and, and even in this book the underground man is so radically honest with himself from the first line of the chapter one I mean right from the first line I'm a spiteful man you know and uh, I'm a sick man and and just keeps going and and all yeah. that and then to be able to it's kind of like looking at yourself in a mirror you know it's like being able to uh you know you're kind of like you know you're able to look at yourself in that mirror you know like um you know, you think of like Elephant Man, you know, or I guess it would be like Two Face in the uh, this popular the popular milieu. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, like you don't want to look in 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 the mirror and, and see that reflected back. You know, you see that ugliness. You know that that you see your you know those parts that you won't even admit to yourself. You were saying it before. The emotions they come out in a way. They come out somehow. Oh, they're gonna manifest themselves. That's I, I don't really like to use the word science, but that right. is. That's science. That's psychology. Yeah. If right. you have an emotion, it will manifest itself physically mm. somehow. That's why people with high stress tend to have heart problems. Ah. Um, it's it's a real thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on what your stress is and and uh, and what your tendencies are, what your daily habits are, mm. that and you know your. I guess your upbringing, maybe whatever, whole bunch of factors going to influence how it's going to manifest itself. But it will if you and you can look at extreme cases like school shooters, mm. or you can look at like mild cases like people who chew their nails. Uh-huh. Um, that has a cause. Hey, there. <laughs> look at mine. Mine are bad too. <laughs> uh, I'm being vulnerable too. Um, so. Yeah, that uh, that has a cause, though. Um, something. Uh, whether you can name it or quantify it, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Um, but it comes from somewhere. From somewhere. It's so true. It's It's so true. And I think that, I mean, I just think that as far as looking outside and seeing what we... Uh, what we uh, what we find in, in God and what we find in, in our relationship with God, you know, and it really comes back, you know, it's Christianity is a, it's for the for the individual, you know, each individual is accountable to God, each individual has value to God, and yet each individual is fallen before God, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it's 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 been. Like, you know, for example, I mean, like even when doing the podcast, I mean, being able to sit and talk with you and, and usually, uh, you know, usually we grease the wheels of progress, you know, by, you know, with a little transparency or what have you. And it's, it's not, it's not your ability to edit, to, to edit an audio file that, you know, allows me to be transparent. You know, it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not. Well, if it were relying upon that, that. Yeah, we wouldn't talk much, I guess. Well, probably not. I mean, or, <laughs> Terrible. You know, or the stuff that you buy for an imagined audience or what have you, you know? But uh, and all that stuff, it, it has to do with it, it has to do with that knowing that that, you know, we're no one's perfect, not one. And what we find outside. And it's a um mm-hmm. and it can be you know, and uh and it, it's very interesting how it's a comfort to you know, not have, you know, to feel that there's that third option. You know, you have the one option 
which is the scientific consensus, right? Everything right. must be this way, right? So, um, you know, and, and we have our own words for this in our, our current lifestyle. You know, we have expressive individualism and other things, uh, you know, woke culture and all these these, these sorts of things. Hmm. Um, but, uh, and we have that. But what we can do is we don't have to be stuck in the middle, right? It's kind of like, you know, the slave can become the master, you know? the um, So you might have this person in this uh, this man of action, and the man of action is uh, is a person who has that sense of justice. They have that objective truth that the underground man himself can't reach because they're looking for it in they're looking for it in the world. You know, I'd say that probably the man of action. You know, it's 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 listening to the crowd. It's finding that safety in the crowd, right? And so you have those that are with the crowd, and then those that the underground man would say uh, are men of heightened consciousness, men of heightened awareness. This heightened awareness, you're never going to find it, right? You're never going to find what you're looking for, right? You're never going to find what you're looking for in the world. You're going to look for it outside the world. And you're never going to find it in an imagined audience. You know, you're never going to find, you know, those things are those things are fleeting. You know, just like in a crystal palace, when you would go to a crystal palace, eventually you're going to call it a chicken coop because all it does is protect you from the rain. Yep. I had four houses. One of them kind of looked like a chicken coop, but <laughs> <laughs> one of them looked like a brick palace. And uh, none of them are the American dream. Everyone thinks owning a home is the American dream. What do you think? You, you want know, a home? It's amazing, isn't it? Well, you know, the thing is, is, <laughs> is, is, is very interesting and in that you say that about the American dream. It's a common misconception. The American dream uh, is actually, it, um, it comes from the boom time. You know, if you go back and you look right. at the, the, the boom bus cycle. Yeah. During the boom time, bankers use this, what they do during the boom times, bankers will substitute the American dream with this Fox American dream, you know, F-A-U-X, right. where um, it's about owning a home. Hey, you own your home. And this is, again, it's for the uh, imagined audience, right? Yep. I mean, it's, it's hey, once you own your home, everyone's going to drive by your home, okay? And they're going to drive by your home. And, you know, little Johnny, right? Little, John, little Johnny's going to look at that. He's going to say, hey, Daddy, you know, so look at that guy. Look at that house over there, you know? And Daddy goes, hey, little Johnny, the guy who owns that house, that guy made it. Yeah, no, I, I that's, that's exactly it. words out. If you didn't use them, I was gonna use it, man. Like, yeah, you yep. you bought a house, you made, you it. made it. Yep, you made it, man. See End that guy? Road. You say, hey, little Johnny. I don't know that guy's name. <laughs> I couldn't pick him out of a lineup, but I can tell you, just as soon as America's red, white, and blue, that guy's made it. Yep, I <laughs> got he got to where he needed to go. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I'm it, not envious of myself right now. Right, <laughs> I'm looking at this like my fifth wheel, just bigger and more expensive. Right, <laughs> bigger problems. Right. Yeah. So the um, you know, and it is is yeah, like the true American dream, right? And uh, and the true American dream uh, is not just uh, you know, buying a house for an imagined audience. Yeah. The true American dream is uh, to uh, start at nothing and build yourself up to something, right? And to you so start at start at nothing, and then you work hard, and then you're able to create something of value through your hard work. So. I had a friend of mine, and he had a, a business. It was kind of a smaller business, and he wanted to he wanted to shut it down. And I told him, I said, "Don't do it, don't do it," because he had a, he was right in the middle, and he had a choice to make: he could shut it down, or he could grow it. And I said, "Man, don't shut it down. Don't you dare, you know." And uh, and the point that I made to him was, I said, "You know, 
if you put in a little bit of effort, right, you grow the business, you're going to create a job, right? And think about that. That's going to produce value for you. So you're going to get to retain the value that you created for yourself, which has been uh, such a boon for your life. And then you're going to get to add a job, right? And give someone a job. And that person's going to be so happy. They're going to be able to provide. So now, not only have you worked hard, created a business, and created value for your life, but now you're actually adding value to other people's lives, right? You're growing and, and, and everyone is rising. And, and, and the people that are purchasing things from you, you know, they're doing it voluntary, you know, so you're helping other people. You're engaging in voluntary transactions, which have no coercive elements. It's really wonderful. So you're able to have that that sense of the, an American dream, where you can uh, you work for these things and you do it uh, you do it for yourself. But there's something authentic about this whole process. Okay, there's something it's authentic. It's it's real. You're doing it not necessarily for altruistic purposes. Think of the underground man, right? The underground man could look at the Crystal Palace and reject it. Pretty sure he could look at somebody's business and reject it as well. You know, so if to have that dream, right, without that sense of spite, without that sense of of ennui, you know, without that just dissatisfaction or that disbelief to have that, to have it be authentic, it's based on authentic truth. And just like the American dream is to work your way up, we have that sense of a religious faith that America is founded on, okay, religious freedom and for people to engage God as an individual. So there really is a stark contrast that we can draw between salvation and a devised life. You know, and that's what we see here in The Underground Man. This, a devised life, the shield has been put between him and the eternal. Yeah, you have a worldly life that denies... God, mm-hmm. and then you have a life that you'd like to live selfishly apart from God. Yeah, all right. I guess that is true, and I guess it goes back a lot if, to what if we, I if I gather what you're saying correctly. I well, mean. no, and I think so. But even that life that you would live apart from God, right? Are you living that? You're certainly not living it for God, but are you living it for yourself, or are you living it for an imagined audience? Oh, I guess that would be. Yeah, I guess that would be a. A third. That'd be a whole different thing. And even if even if you are living it for yourself, what kind of life is that? I mean, there's a devised life. One where you want to find a really high bridge. One where you want to <laughs> find a really high bridge, right? One where you want to find a really high bridge. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. The underground man back in Chapter 5 actually lists out the traits, and, and he talks about it. And, you know, Dostoevsky, hey, this guy's brilliant. Why stop, right? Yeah. He actually has it down in six points, right? Number one, the devised life of an intelligent man. Number one, never able to start anything. Number two, never able to finish anything. Number three, a babbler. Number four, harmless. Number five, irksome. And number six, common and not exceptional. And right. So it's going to be interesting to see um, in the second half of the book uh, what that exactly looks like. The devised life, the overthinking, and the underground man in the wild. So that is something, ladies and gentlemen, that will be interesting. We have seen the inner dialogue, uh, and we've done a lot of talking. Uh, You know, reading, I don't know about you, Steve, but reading chapter number 11 for me, 
it really brought out, you know, that devised life, that man, um, apart from God, that's not looking around himself, that's not looking uh, outside of the world. And it really brings, uh, it brings to mind for myself um, an artist, probably a lot of people haven't really heard of him. You definitely want to check out our podcast series uh, about Mark Hurd. Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, Mark Hurd uh, is a great musician that uh, passed away now. He had a song called Lonely Moon, uh, a great song, Lonely Moon. Uh, so just some of the lyrics, I think it really brings everything together. Um, you know, and, and some of these lyrics here, Steve, you can check them out here. Uh, you know, they taught him to capture and tame a pathos. They sold him distractions and made every day seem the same. They caught the Holy Ghost lurking in his cellar, so they threw him out, leaving just a lonely name. Here, they denied him existence, but they let him live in a lonely room. His path is lit only by the light of falling stars. The embers fall and scorch and cut his face. He wants to believe in his unbelief in a lonely place. So, you know, this is the plight of so many people in our world nowadays. Uh, there's so much that's going on, and it's one thing to talk about it. We can mock it. We do. We can talk about it, and we do. And we can ruminate on it. We do. Uh, but really, at the core of it all, it really is is this malaise, uh, this, this modern problem. Uh, we can really see it. We're really grateful to Dostoevsky for putting it down in an in inner dialogue. I think that speaks to every person. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. We will see you on the other side. And, uh, hey, today, why don't we have Mr. Mark Hurd take us out? Oh,
path is lit only by the light of the fallen stars and the embers fall to scorch and cut his face he wants to believe in his unbelief in a lonely place but they buried his conscience near to the grave of God sealed his soul up in a tomb of tears and they scattered his ashes east of Eden someplace on a lonely Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time 